The grace, mercy, and peace be to you from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. An ancient philosopher once said that the present is the only certainty. The present. I guess a more modern philosopher, John Lennon, he once said that the more I see, the less certain I am. And Scotty Bowman, the hockey player, he said there is nothing so uncertain as a sure thing. And we all know that there is nothing as certain as death and taxes. No sure thing. No sure thing. We, we long for a sure thing. Something that is dependable, something that I can count on, something that is rock solid. And in our lives of faith, I really need a sure thing. Today we remember the transfiguration of Jesus. If there was ever a doubt in the disciples' minds, I imagine that this moment was that one thing that would remove all doubt. To see the glory of God revealed in Jesus on the mountaintop. Not, not like the glory of God once before that came down in a burning bush, pillars of clouds and fire. But to see it really in Jesus fully revealed. Now sure they had seen it a little bits of it before, the glory of God in Jesus, when they saw Jesus you know, feed the 5,000 or heal the sick, to raise the dead, cast out evil spirits. You know, they saw these glimpses of God's glory. But now it was here in the fullness of his glory. Peter saw that. That would be a sure thing. Yet Peter says, okay, I saw all of that. I saw that. But here is something more sure. There is something more certain. And I wonder, how can you have anything more certain than that? More certain than the transfiguration of Jesus. And more certain than hearing the voice of God come from heaven. And say that this is my beloved son. How could you have anything more certain than that? And Peter says, the more certain thing we have is the prophetic word of God. That inspired word of God, that word of God that came not from the will of people, but came about because God carried along people by his spirit to write it down. We have the scriptures, his word. That is our more sure thing. It's, it's more sure, Peter says, than even seeing Jesus transfigured. Glory revealed in that mountain. It's more sure because it is not coming about because we have some clever person who came up with a clever story and a clever way of putting things together. It said it came from God as people were carried along by His Spirit. And the word we have for that, we, we say, is inspired. It's the inspired Word of God. It's a tough word there, inspired. Inspired because we use inspired to mean a lot of different things. Sometimes we'll say, uh, you know, that piece of music was inspired, an inspired piece of music. Or that artwork was an inspired artwork. Or that sunset is inspiring. Or where am I going to get my inspiration for my next you know, sermon? <laughs> Maybe. Where am I going to get that inspiration from for that? That kernel of an idea. We, we use inspired for a lot of different things. But when we use it that way, it doesn't catch the, the real uniqueness of God's word. For if you think the Bible is as inspiring 
like a sunset is inspiring, then maybe you've missed something. Missed something. Because it's inspired. God's word is inspired. It's not inspiring. Okay, it's not that you know the God's word makes me feel good about myself or makes me think like, oh, I really can handle the task before me today. The God's word is not there to um, to make me feel better. It's not to get me charged up for the day. God's word is not uh, inspired like uh, to be inspired like a word of the day or a quote of the day kind of calendar. Here's my thought for the day. It is breathed out by God. All of it, and not some of it more than others, not just the parts that are easy to understand, not just the parts that fit in with the way I think about things, but it's all from God. Because it's all from God, it is a more sure thing. It is a lamp that shines in a dark place. It is what gives us wisdom to find life in Jesus. A sure thing. And we need a sure thing. We need a lamp to shine in the dark place. Because our world is post-factual, it's post-modern, it's post-Christian, it's a world in which everything is really up for grabs. Everything is. And so who knows what's fake news or a deep fake? Who knows what is real and what's not real? Who knows if there's any kind of truth? In a world that is this ambiguous, we need something that is sure and certain, something that is rock-solid, something that we can count on. And that thing is the Word of God. The God-breathed Bible. Carried along by God, not because it's out of our own minds or our own desire for what we want God to say to us, but by God. And I say that passionately. I say that emphatically. I say that as strongly as I can because what I say next might make you question that. <laughs> question that. So really lock that in. There is nothing more sure. There is nothing more certain than God's word. It is our only lamp in the, shining in a dark place. Because there are seeming problems with God's word, with the scripture. Things that look like mistakes or discrepancies. There are you know, accounts of battles that one place it says so many people fought and another place it was in a different amount of people. Some places in scripture it says one price was paid for a piece of land, and another place it says another price. Some uh, accounts of the lists of kings, different order, different way it's put together. And when we come across things like that, it easily can make us think this thing is not sure. This thing is not certain. There's uh, one error, you might call it an error, one place that we like, I think, unlocks the key for us to understanding how God's word is breathed out. It's breathing out in a different way than what we would expect. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to help us think that this is going to help us see that God's word is the most sure thing. It is the thing that is the beauty of the gospel. So in 1 Corinthians, the first bit of it there, Paul is making this argument to the church about how they belong not to, each, not to a teacher, not to some preacher, not belonging to someone who baptized them, but they belong all one to God. And his argument goes this way. He says, you know, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. And then he says, oh no, I did baptize two of you. And then next sentence later he says, oh no, there was this other household. I baptized them. 
And then after that, he says, well, I don't know if I who I baptized. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> that doesn't matter. And see, if we were to think, well, what do I want? Come on, Paul, your memory, how bad could it be? You know, can you not sit down and think for a minute about who you baptized? You know, I think I'll probably remember this for a good long, long time, right? Who you baptize. We remember them. But, you know, here he doesn't seem to have a very good memory. <laughs> Wouldn't it be better, you know, if we had a real sure thing? Uh, what, what, what would it be better if we got, you know, gold plates from God, from heaven, that we could just stamp over and over again, and everyone get the exact same copy, and we all had the same, and it was a book that was cross-referenced and, and perfectly categorized, and you had archaeological evidence to go along with it all. Wouldn't that be more sure? Wouldn't that be the, the right kind of book to get to have us talk about God? Wouldn't that be the smart thing? Wouldn't it have been better if, if God came at a time where there was a, a videotape, where we could just record it all of it, and we'd have, oh yeah, that's exactly what happened. Or even better, wouldn't it have been better if Jesus didn't leave, and he could stick around, and he could just keep telling generation after generation who he was, and we didn't have to just rely on the word of someone else? Wouldn't God, that should have been what he did. That would have been the smart thing. That would have been the wise thing. But Paul goes on here. He says, I came to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So he's kind of saying, here he's saying, I don't have the best memory. <laughs> okay? And now my argument has all fallen apart. But God didn't send me to do these other things. He sent me to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, not with smart, well-thought-out arguments, and not with perfect memory. He sent me to proclaim the gospel, and I thank God for this. I thank God, he says, for it, because if I was eloquent and I was wise, that would rob the cross of its power. Paul is not embarrassed by the fact that he is not got a photographic memory. He, he's not embarrassed by the fact that he made a mistake in fact, he glories in it. He says these problems, right, they don't undermine the authority of God's word. They don't make it less sure. In fact, it makes it more sure, more authoritative. Because the problems aren't problems. The Bible is fine as it is, more than fine. It enhances the authority of God's word. It makes it more sure. It makes us more confident that it really is breathed out by God and did not come by the will of some person. It didn't come because uh, someone sat down and, and wrote out a good plan and a good story. It came about being carried along by the Spirit of God. God reveals His power to us in His Word as the more sure thing. Not with shimmering lights and long dead prophets. Not in our kind of glory. But He shows His power because he becomes weak. God shows his wisdom by taking on foolishness. He shows his greatness by show, taking on our shame. He's glorified in Christ's humiliation. God shows his holiness by diving headfirst into your sin. He takes on his, uh, he, he shows glory by taking on our hell. He shows his love by taking on our hatred. His glory is by being willing to take solidarity with us 
in all of our horrible conditions that we find ourselves in. And he redeems us from them all. So we kind of have this logic. God is perfect. Right? God's perfect? Okay, we can all say that. God is perfect. But then we think, well, if God is perfect, then his book must be perfect. And it must be perfect the way I think perfect should be. How could God have a book that's about him that has any seeming error in it? Because God doesn't make mistakes. And that sounds good, and that sounds wise. That sounds like a sure thing. But then if you go out into the world, and you just take one religion class that's not you know, taught here at, our, at the church, right? and people will crush your faith. They will poke holes and all over it. And say, will make you question, doubt. Why would God have ever talked to us with something that is full of error? Something you can't be sure of. And so we try to make up defending that, uh, that book. And we try to defend our way of thinking about it. And we come up with all kind of answers to, to it. So my faith then ends up being not in God's word. And not in God's power. But my faith ends up being in my wisdom. And how smart and how clever I am. To resolve these problems. And so the sure thing is no longer God and his word. It is me and my smarts. If our certainty rests in our own wisdom, maybe we're missing the point. And all of our thinking about God, our, where we start really matters. One place we can start is Colossians chapter 2. St. Paul says that I want your heart to be encouraged and united in love. So that you may have all the riches of assured understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. In whom are hidden all the treasures of the knowledge and wisdom of God. Jesus is God's mystery. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The crucified, risen Jesus Christ is the mystery of God. In him are not just some of the mysteries. But all, all the mysteries of God, all the wisdom of God, all the knowledge of God. If you want a sure thing, something that you can you know, double down on, it is Jesus, Jesus. And not Jesus on the mountaintop, glorious and transfigured. But Jesus on the cross, gory and disfigured. He is beautiful. For that is where we find salvation. Let us take what God gives to us and see how God breathes his revelation of himself through it. That God reveals his power as the more sure thing, not with the shimmering lights. Not our kind of thoughts about glory, but by appearing weak and humble and powerless. This is what God is like. If the cross is weak and foolish, then why should we expect that the Bible not also look weak, foolish. The same God who breathed into the cross, the same God that breathes into the scripture. Martin Luther said it this way, he says, I see nothing in scripture except Christ and him crucified. We can be all the more sure of God breathing out himself to us in his word in the scripture because it also looks weak and foolish, just like the cross. The cross is the revelation of God, not despite the fact that it is weak and foolish. 
It is not despite the fact that it is not clever and powerful. It is because it is weak. It is foolish. It is shameful. It is ugly. But this is the kind of God that we have. Who dives right into all of that. The Bible is the perfect book that points us to God. Jesus says that all of Scripture points to Him. Not just a few passages that that we can say, oh, that points to Jesus in the crucifixion. It's not just a few, but it's the whole of it. And, and, And not just the words, but the way it's all put together. It all points to Jesus. On every page, in every part, every bit of it, with all of its scars, and with all of its holes, with all of its imperfections that come with it. It's perfect in pointing us to the one who overcame all of our mistakes and all of our death consequence of our sin on the cross. If God has used fallible human beings to write down his word and record that divinely inspired word, then we can have hope that God will use today broken and fallible people like you and me to accomplish still his purpose in this world where he can bring new situations and new possibilities and new life and changing power power that changes hearts and minds and lives. This is the power of the changing power of God's Spirit. Not a word of information, but it is about the kingdom of God that comes to us today. It's accomplished in Jesus, and it makes its way into the world, confronting the world with fresh and new ways of being God through the preaching of His Word. And that, that is the more sure thing. And that And that we can count on. Amen. And now may a peace of God which passes all understanding, may it guard our hearts and minds in true faith to life everlasting. Amen.